Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. It is a great privilege and pleasure to have you with us. We are broadcasting this week from the Chatter Studio in Friendship Heights. Fabulous Chatter Studio sitting at Tony Kornheiser's microphone. It's always such a thrill to be here in the Kornheiser chair. We have a great forecast for you tonight. One of uh, the most prominent, actually important intellectual guests, We, uh, whoever has joined us on the show uh, Dr. Jeffrey Lacker, former president of the Richmond Federal Reserve, is going to be with us in our first segment. Uh, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, of course, is going to be with us tonight. And, uh, boy, where do we start with Mahaffey uh, figuring out all of what's going on in Washington around the world? And then the great Tom Heath uh, for our third segment from the Washington Post, the investment column columnist, uh, all things financial Heath, and a pretty good investor too, figures it out. So we're going to start and get started here in just a second with uh, Dr. Jeff Lacker. Remember that at the Farcast, we believe that money is hard to make, that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And finally, remember that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. If you're feeling ebullient or fearful, pause, take a walk around the block, but don't start moving your money around. You're just going to set yourself up for great unpleasantness. Now, Dr. Jeffrey Lacker, president, former president of the Richmond Federal Reserve Bank, uh, is a uh, terrific economist, uh, now teaching as a professor at Virginia Commonwealth University. He's teaching a course on financial crises, and God knows he shepherded the country through enough of them. He's an expert's expert. He is a wonderful friend. If you really want to have a, a, a great conversation uh, and get to be friends with Jeff Lacker, I commend it to you highly. It's some, some of my most favorite time spent with Jeff. Uh, welcome back, Jeff, to the Farcast. Great to be here. Thank you for that those kind words. Um, looking forward to giving my first midterm in a long time tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me, is there kind of, the level of sort of um, sadistic? Is there a little sadistic pleasure there as you have made this test? Is it a killer test, or should they be scared? No, these these kids are good. They're hanging with me. They're really engaged. They get it. They get it. You know, uh, incentives, moral hazards. Uh, you know, banking rescues and, and the life, they, they understand what's going on. So I'm, I've set them up perfectly. And, and, you know, we talked about 19th century banking a couple weeks ago and uh, uh, Bernanke's uh, credit channel theory. And, and I've set them up beautifully for covering the financial crisis of 2008, the but, second half of the course. But so. you haven't gotten there yet. Second half. No, is, no, that's okay. for the second half. Yeah, I got to save something good for the last, you know. Wow. Okay. I told you when you told me about this course, I should come down and really just listen. You know, uh, I was on I was on Squawk Box years ago during the financial crisis with Mark Haynes, and I was opining on moral hazard. And as I mentioned, he said, "Did you say moral hazard?" I said, "Yeah, moral hazard." He said, "Oh, grow up." We, we, nobody believe <laughs> nobody believes in that anymore. There, you have to have yeah. moral to have moral hazard. Uh, there has to be there has to be somebody's belief in that in that uh, consequence of sin, first of all, that you're going to pass off the consequence of sin to some unwitting or undeserving party. And, and he suggested that that just was was beyond the pale anymore. How, what, do you mention that in your class? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, we cover it. I mean, it, it's a sort of an unfortunate terminology. It comes out of the insurance industry in the 19th century, um, but it, it really just means responding to incentives. Do people respond to incentives? Uh, yeah, and that's sort of a timeless truth, and uh, denying that seems sort of pointless. Yeah, I think he was probably attacking the notion that there was any moral left in uh, in finance on Wall Street. In fact, I know that that's what he that's where that's where he was going. Um, okay, uh, uh, Doctor Lacker, tell us. We saw uh, uh, Chairman Powell testify. We've seen the Fed raise rates nine different times. Uh, economic data appear to be slowing back down to trend. Uh, do you see a slowing down to trend? And what is the Fed doing? And what was the most, I guess, what's the most important message coming out of uh, Chairman Powell these days? Yeah, so I, I guess the most notable thing had to do with um, the normalization. Uh, he hinted that uh, a decision was coming soon uh, from the committee about um, uh, altering the course of their normalization, the timing of altering the course of their normalization. Uh, policy. So remember, they're running with well, the Fed's running off its balance sheet, um, letting um, assets run off at up to fifty billion dollars a month. And um, this, they issued a statement. Surprise! It was, it was a surprise to markets uh, after the last meeting uh, three, a few weeks ago um, that uh, said that they were going to re-examine that and uh, shift course sometime uh, in the near future. And um, the Tea leaf reading uh, indicates that sometime later this year, probably in the second half sometime, um, they'll be uh, ceasing uh, rolling off assets, and they will keep the asset portfolio sort of fixed for a while. That'll leave bank reserves around a trillion dollars. Um, and then um, uh, they'll wait for currency growth to eat into um, bank reserve balances and drive bank reserve balances down to I guess maybe five or six hundred billion. Uh, I How long does that take? I mean, they're three and a half trillion. How would you possibly get to five or six hundred billion again? Uh, over time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. well, in, like uh, like long after our grandchildren patience. are dead or what? Patience. Requires patience. Requires patience. This whole process is going to require patience. When It'll they stop letting it run off. Another few years. So, Jeff, when they stop letting it run off. Uh, does that mean mm -hmm. that they are reinvesting things as they mature to maintain the current portfolio? Right. And so That's the Fed right. is going to be back in the market, again. right? The Fed's back buying, sort well, of. Well, in a sense, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they, they roll over treasuries all the time uh, and always used to. So that's uh, nothing new. But, yeah, they'll be back. They'll sort of be um, taking their usual stance to the market, um, rolling over, you know, at each auction when stuff comes up, they'll – They'll roll it over into the next issue. So they'll just sort of be on the sidelines still in a way. 50, now they're dumping securities into the market. Well, they're dumping securities into the market at the tune of as much as $50 billion a month, and they're going to stop that. So all of a sudden, a supply right. of essentially $50 billion uh, is going to go away, and that should tighten the bond right, market, but, shouldn't it? Shouldn't we see a, even higher rates, uh, lower rates? Sorry, maybe a little bit, but I, I doubt the effect will be big. Keep in mind that the Treasury itself is dumping more securities into the market at a much higher rate. At a much so higher this, rate. The Fed's, yeah, significantly higher. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's significantly higher. So it's about eighty billion Fed, a month, I think. 
Really? Yeah. Well, if you know, if you if you take a look at a trillion dollar deficit, right? I mean, it, 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 that's a nine hundred sixteen eight times twelve. So we're gonna I mean, sort of that rate is what I was hearing for this year: eighty billion a month from the from the treasury. That doesn't add up. No. A, tr- a trillion a year. Yeah. Divided by, I think there's twelve months in a year. Is that right? Something. Last I checked, yes. <laughs> so I, I think it'd be more. I think it'd be like. Uh, you know, it would be like a hundred. Yeah, yeah. More above a hundred. So anyway, whatever. Above 100, it is. That'd be one point two. Eighty billion it? sounds right. Eighty billion's about right. 12, I think nine sixty. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Four yeah, yeah. short. Of well, a whatever. Billion. So yeah. anyway, trillion. The, the point is, the Treasury's adding to net net adding to supply um, along the way. Faster than the so. Fed's taking it away, anyway. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. So what's the message in all of that from the chairman? What do you, what, how, do, how do Fred and Ethel interpret what's going on with the economy when they see the Fed say, wait a minute, maybe we can't uh, remove accommodation? Well, the, the effect of that on long rates is minor. And the Fed was headed towards doing something like this at some point in the next year or two in any event. So I wouldn't read into this much by way of signal about the Fed's opinion about the economy. More important as a signal of the Fed's view about the economy is the the message that they're basically going to be on pause, on hold for the foreseeable future until until some developments warrant it. They're 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 going to be just watching the data and waiting uh, to see when an opportune time to raise rates would be. So what's that message say about the economy, that they were feeling fine about it, but now they don't feel fine about it and they've got to stop? I mean, something's changed here where they don't feel fine anymore. Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. You know, the, the and the shift in tone came right at the turn of the year, right at the valley, the trough of that, that equity market moves that we saw over the course of November, December, and January, that swing down and up. It was right at the trough of that. And, you know, one hopes they weren't taking too much signal from the equity market alone because the macroeconomic data has been fine. Right. Um, There's a bit of a slowdown going on in business investment in third quarter. Um, That'll probably play out in the fourth quarter as well. But consumers, um, despite what the retail sales report, um, you know, signaled, I'm I'm guessing those consumers are still fundamentally pretty sound. The Global growth um, outlook is dimmer. There's certainly some clouds on that horizon. So there's some things they could point to, but it wasn't, you know, a dramatic turn in the macro data by any means. Um, they're just looking at some risks that have emerged, and the equity markets made them look a little harder, I'm guessing. And um, they took the opportunity to say, all right, we're, let's just go to the sidelines and um, take an imminent move off the table. You know, uh, otherwise they would have been signaling a March move or signaling a June move. Now they're just going to be signaling, watching and waiting. And we can anticipate that they're going to wait. They're essentially going to wait for downside risks to dissipate. They're going to wait for um, the global growth uh, slowdown to kind of play out, bottom out. And so they make sure there isn't something. That sounds like uh, it could take a while. I mean, that sounds like it could. I mean, we, we, we could have the portfolio back to 600 billion by the time that plays out. Could be, could I mean, be. Um, but on the other hand, it, if it plays out and it's pretty clear the consequences for us in real terms aren't significant, which is plausible, um, then, you know, it could go ahead. Uh, you mentioned, the, you know, on an appearance on CNBC, the, 
the trade outlook that was yes. obviously a negative and if we get positive news on that that'll take a risk um off the table or at least take it off the table and you put it on a shelf um never know what's going to happen going up <laughs> going forward but they'd also want to see if cons- consumer spending is holding up because that's that's the the big flywheel uh, so, for economic growth. Okay, so 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 two two questions here. So one of the things I said to Dr. Loretta Mester at the University of Delaware Economic Forecast a, a week or so ago. Uh, what a great privilege to be. You, you were wonderful to do that and come and speak and give that economic forecast. She was terrific this year. And one of the things that that I posited was. Uh, and, and was asking her about was, you know, I, it seems to me that there was a change in sentiment as a reason for the downturn. Uh, the bad retail sales numbers doesn't mean it meant that the consumer didn't spend, but not that the consumer couldn't spend. And that a 20 percent mm-hmm. drop in equities plus the government shutdown. And I think there was some tail wagging the dog, too, Jeff. And this is what I want you to t- tell me about. I mean, everybody was a bit nervous with the Fed charging ahead, saying we are going to raise, we are going to raise, we are going to raise. People were not feeling it, and there was a change in sentiment. But I think the consumer is probably still healthy. How much did the Fed kind of lead to, in your opinion, maybe that market downturn and that change in consumer sentiment that that slowed their spending at a critical time of the year? Yeah, it's it's always a dicey thing. What to what to make of equity markets for monetary policies, particularly the time where equity markets move with that not a lot with not a lot by way of you know concrete. Uh, adverse news on the macroeconomic front without the real economic data actually moving much. Um, you know, you worry about a head faint and you also think, well, I didn't, you know, we didn't pounce on it when equity markets outpaced expectations in 2017. Uh, and if we didn't do that, you know, are we overreacting to, you know, a, a, a tick down and adjustment downward? So you, you always have to think about that. And it's a, it's a, a delicate balance to strike. What would Chairman sure Lacker have announced be... for 2019? What would Chairman Lacker have announced? Would you have stopped and gone to the sideline, or would we still have another rate or hike or two in the forecast? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I would have. Um, I, I think I would have tried to avoid the appearance of capitulation uh, to the equity markets. Um, How would maybe, you have done maybe, that? Maybe shifted tone a little more gradually. Okay. I, you know, Slightly different language. Um, I think they were right to take out the risk uh, balance or risk statement, but um, still, you know, with the, the economy is as hot as it is, you know, with with the unemployment rate so low, labor market so tight, um, you know, w- real wages steadily, you know, gaining speed. Um, I I would have found a way um, to to make it a more minor and gradual adjustment. I think. Okay. And so I, I know we're, we're taking a lot of your time. Uh, finally, as we, as we look for 2019 and 2020 and even 21, Loretta Mester said that she had no recession in her forecast. And, and um, John Hilsenrath said, does that mean you don't think there's going to be one or you just don't have one in your forecast? And she said, <laughs> I, well, you have to ask you Fed people, you know, very careful questions. And, and she said, I don't think there's going to be one. So uh, tell us, GDP projections, growth projections from Dr. Lacker for 19, 20, and 21, and is there a recession in your forecast? Do you think there's going to be one? Yeah, no, you know, if, if the probability is less than 50%, you don't put it in there. So my forecast about about 2% GDP growth um, both years. Um, 
And, yeah, I think the odds of a recession are less than 50%, but they're always about 15 to 20%, uh, you know, any random year you choose. So uh, it could happen, um, but um, you don't see signs of how it would develop at this point. And I don't see signs of it developing now. So, so far, it's reasonably uh, smooth sailing, albeit at a slower pace. Is that kind of some your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Well, we can't thank you enough for appearing on the forecast, Dr. Jeffrey Lacker. Uh, well, thanks from, for having me on. Yeah, this is great. And, and, and be nice to those young people tomorrow. You know, <laughs> they're sensitive uh, at, at that uh, midterm. They're good kids. They're good kids. They're good kids. I'll, they're lucky to I'll have you. That, I'll tell I'll, you that. I'll take that under advisement. Thank you very much, Michael. Great <laughs> thank to talk you, to Jeff. You. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jeffrey Lacker from now, the former uh, president of the Richmond Federal Reserve and uh, professor at Virginia Commonwealth University. What a privilege to have him on the forecast. When we come back, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress will be right back on the forecast. You're listening to Forecast. We have a special offer for our Farcast listeners from Far Miller in Washington. During the month of March, we are offering listeners a free individual portfolio review. If you have a portfolio of $100,000 or more, we will evaluate your portfolio for risk, reward, tax liability issues, and appropriateness for your situation, time horizon, and investment goals. If you have a portfolio of 100000 or more, we will evaluate your portfolio for risk, reward, tax liability issues, appropriateness for your situation, time horizon, and investment goals. To take advantage of this limited time offer, email me, Harry Jennings, at hjennings at farmiller.com. I will help you gather the information for one of our portfolio managers to work with you on your review. The Opportunity is limited, so contact us soon. Now, back to Michael Farr and the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for being with us and staying with us as we are trying to figure out what's going on on Wall Street in Washington and with the world. We have a great forecast for you this evening. Dr. Jeffrey Lacker, what a terrific first segment. One of the smartest guys I, I know, truly, just a brilliant guy. And fabulous insights, measured, thoughtful, just a terrific guy. We're so lucky that he appears with us. Uh, Dan Mahaffey, now we're going to talk to from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. And then coming up in segment three, the great, the great Tom Heath. Uh, who happens to be an old friend of mine. Thanks, I, thanks for not calling me the late great. Uh, the, well, <laughs> it's early. Let's go to Dan. Let's go to the uh, the not late at all uh, Dan Mahaffey uh, from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. Hey, Dan, anything to talk about with uh, the presidency or Congress today? I, I, there were four... Uh, I think there were four things uh, going on. I mean, we, we had um, Jay Powell, who was uh, testifying today. We had Michael Cohen testifying today. We had Bob Lighthizer testifying today. And then we had uh, the president meeting his Roy Imper royal imperial uh, holy leadership over in Vietnam uh, today, all going on at the same time. So I'm figuring you were listening to what you're hearing. Go ahead. Tell me. Well, it was a little bit of just constantly changing back and forth from channel to channel today. 
and then waiting to make sure that we weren't hearing air raid sirens in Karachi or New Delhi. <laughs> so, uh, and did we? Uh, there were actually uh, air, air raid sirens, both uh, certainly in Karachi. They haven't they haven't fired back to New Delhi, have they? No. Well, we we are trying to see and make sure that that doesn't escalate. So that's another. You know the. The, the question of when this administration would might have their first major international crisis, uh, the the subcontinent seems to be heating up, but hopefully there's uh, off ramps to avoid further escalation. Of the various uh, you know news um, circuses going on today, which stole the show uh, in terms of uh, viewer attention, and which was the most important? Which one should we have been paying attention to the most? Do you think? Well, I think the Cohen one got most of the eyeballs around the country. And, and look, we, we had the headlines and the, the chyrons on the news all day. You know, breaking news, uh, President Trump uh, is seen by many as an unsavory character or breaking news. Uh, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the Trump organization, which in itself is not breaking news. But what we're finally seeing is a, a Congress that is handling oversight of this administration and the way that they will uh, pursue uh, the Trump organization and the various ties that people had. So even if Cohen wasn't saying anything new, you get the sense that there's a lot of names who are about to be called uh, back before Congress very soon. The, this, this, um, I, I was going to use uh, the, the, Yes, this story is not over. Uh, I, I, I was going to say that this particular story might have a long tail, but I thought I should probably just stay away from that completely. Speaking of which, Stormy Daniels complimented uh, Mr. Cohen um, and, and said that she thought he was, she was very proud of him, that she thought he was very courageous. Uh, so she, she, she made the headlines, too, today. Um, when Anything in that testimony hitting anybody as news, does this have an effect on the presidency? Well, I think what it at least does is tell us that uh, not only is the Mueller investigation going, but even if Mueller were to wrap up, there's the Southern District of New York, there's the D.C. investigations. Everything's being farmed out to uh, the Justice Department, which one commentator helpfully reminded us today is America's largest law firm. Yeah, well, no question about that. Um, as we look at all of what was going on, uh, we did sort of learn more that uh, about the China trade negotiations and that Bob Lighthizer, uh, who is a, I'm telling you, a very nice guy, friend of mine for a long time, Bob uh, is not happy with where they seem to be, uh, the negotiations with China. He, he, it, it seems like they're coming to some sort of conclusion, but not making the progress he'd like to have made on the United States' behalf. Did you hear that? I heard that. I think also Lighthizer's in a hell of a position after he w had that back and forth in front of the president in the Oval Office over what a memorandum of understanding MOU or contract is. I will say one thing in Chinese negotiating strategy 101 is not to dress down uh, your negotiator in front of their Chinese counterpart. But beyond that, you have the, the further a complication of, okay, we're going to get this short-term deal, but we're just back on that same treadmill when it comes to intellectual property, Chinese structural issues, and they're just happy to play that waiting game and buy more soybeans and manufactured goods. Okay, but it does seem like um, we're going to have a deal here sooner. It does, 
Uh, I'm hearing around Washington that the president is pushing hard for some sort of deal, some kind of now. He wants uh, happy markets again uh, as he looks to 2020. And he wants to get this done now. He doesn't want this to languish for the next three months. That's what I'm hearing. Are you hearing that? I'm hearing that is similar to how I think he's going to approach the uh, North Korea deal negotiations as well. They want to get something in the in the win column uh, on both fronts as they go into 2020. Uh, but the question is, what does that actually resolve in the longer term when it comes to both the strategic U.S. relationship with China and the denuclearization of North Korea, if that's even possible? What do you think, then, uh, is it really comes out of these uh, negotiations on China trade. Let's 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 stick with that. Uh, we'll get to Vietnam in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but as we look at China, you think it's just more soybeans and and what about the intellectual property and 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 what about the licensing? There were articles yesterday in the Wall Street Journal suggesting that there was progress being made that China was actually honoring some of the uh, contracts and privacy. Uh, you know, property laws and regulations a a bit more. Uh, What does that mean to you? Well, I think, okay, there's a little bit of lip service to that. We'll see from them. I think ultimately, though, when you have a a judicial system that reports to the party rather than a independent branch, you're always going to have questions about enforcement. Um, And I think, too, that we can't really hold them on that topic now because some of the statements the president's made about Huawei, uh, ZTE, things like that, uh, suggest those aren't really court cases on our end, but also political bargaining chips. So, And the idea of an independent uh, judiciary or an independent, independent enforcement mechanism is just going to get lip service. Okay. Uh, it's lip service. Uh, will it be? Will there be anything there that markets, as we keep having all of our listeners, there's so many investors out there, markets get a lift from that? It certainly seems so from my perspective that that if that there will be a lift at least from the end of the battle, at the end of the threatened pointing guns at each other, the, the guns of tariffs at each other. It strikes me that if we sort of put that aside, uh, Trade could probably increase without the pressure of tariffs, and markets would go up. Uh, you think so, or do you think that the deal will be so transparently bad we're, we're not going to like it? Look, I think the markets will be happy to see it relax, but the question will ultimately be, are markets responding to what's best for business in the, in the near term? Are they responding to what America needs to do to uh, address this strategic competition issue with China because I certainly think the Chinese are going to count on the old communist adage that the capitalists will uh, sell you the rope we'll use to hang them. <laughs> uh, we, we hope that's not what's happening. Okay, moving on to Vietnam. The uh, president has uh, uh, been uh, had a lot of praise for Vietnam and uh, uh, a lot of uh, talk about love for Kim Jong-un. Uh, and uh, how does this how what what's going to happen out of this meeting? What was the goal for this meeting other than a fabulous press conference with Kim Jong-un? Well, I think they're trying to at least get the North Koreans to come to some specifics, try and pin down actually what the scope of their program is, what denuclearization steps would look like. But remember, they were so eager to get something positive coming out of Singapore that there's so many unknowns about what denuclearization means. Does this mean also that the U.S. pulls back their protection of the South Koreans? 
Uh, what is we froze the exercises that was kind of giving up a, a major bargaining chip there. So what are the next steps going to be? Um, we're already hearing rumors that the North Koreans may not even have to give a full accounting of their nuclear program and nuclear arsenal. So there's that back and forth on whether the goal of getting some kind of deal means that we're actually not resolving the, the major security issues we face there. And are we going to sell out the South Koreans prematurely? Yeah, that's a that is kind of a worry, isn't it? Okay, well, uh, so Dan, as you look at that, uh, it doesn't sound like you think we're going to get any kind of a meaty agreement from Vietnam. No, I don't, because I think that for the for the North Koreans, their nuclear arsenal is so intertwined with the identity of the regime and their belief of what is necessary for regime survival that. I, I could never see them willingly giving that up unless it meant that, uh, you know, really making South Korea vulnerable to its northern neighbor that's never uh, seeded the idea of reunification by force. In our last minute here, um, what I'm also seeing in Washington, and as I look at the uh, oh, three or 400 uh, so far announced Democratic uh, candidates for the office of president, I think they're up to 300 and something at this point now, people running for yeah, president. Yeah, anyone who can fog a mirror and find <laughs> Iowa on a map. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that that probably is about the bar that's been set. What I'm seeing, though, from the Democratic candidates for president is this sharp, severe, sharp veer to the left on things like taxes and this Green New Deal. And uh, some candidates have been talking about reparations for slavery and treatment of Ameri uh, Native Americans. It seems to me that that sort of uh, agenda uh, is just fabulous for a Trump candidacy uh, for 2020. I mean, those are all things that he can attack just, just brilliantly, I would. I mean, those are, that's that's just you know, yeah. fat targets. Yes, no. Yeah, it creates a, it creates a perfect foil. But everyone's looking at the lessons from the uh, the last midterm, which was all about not about appealing to the middle, but everyone just trying to get as much turnout from their own bases as possible. Um, I also think we have to wait and see at some point how much are we going to get of an effect if Biden or some of the other moderates jump into the race and people start to settle into the, the left lane versus the middle lane. Uh, but still right now, it's a perfect foil for the Republicans. It sounds like there is a path then for Donald Trump to find 270 electoral votes in 2020. Uh, you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I don't think you can ever discount that, uh, that pathway. Um, but, you know, we'll have to continue to see from, from Cohen to trade to others, uh, you know, he keeps making his own headwinds, too. Uh, his own headwinds could be the title of his memoir. Uh, Dan Mahaffey uh, from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. Thank you so much, our senior political analyst on the Farcast. We're going to come right back with the great Tom Heath from the Washington Post on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast.
Thanks for listening to The Farcast. I'm Harry Jennings, associate producer for the show. We love bringing you the show every week and appreciate your listening. We'd like to introduce you to our daily show as well, The Farcast 3-Minute Morning Brief. Each morning that U.S. markets are open, we bring you headlines, markets, commodities, and futures, all in the time it takes to brew a cup of coffee. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, or your favorite podcast platform and get the market facts as the sun rises. And now, back to Michael Farr and Farcast. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Boy, it's tough to sit still when that music gets going, doesn't it? Huh? Tapping your toes. Let's rock. Let's rock, baby. Let's rock to the Farcast soundtrack. We're going to be sending that. That'll be out on KTEL later this year. Stay tuned. I'm sure that sales will go through the roof. Now, fabulous forecast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for being with us. Dr. Jeffrey Lacker telling us about what was going on in Washington and Jay Powell and what would he, he would have been doing as chairman. Doesn't have a recession in his forecast um, and is, uh, thinks we're going to be at 2% for the next couple of years. So he's on board with the 2% stuff. We'll see what happens with the Fed if they really do slow down. Though I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in conversations with Loretta Mester when we were uh, uh, you know, off stage at um, uh, the University of Delaware last week. And then also Lael Brainerd uh, said uh, on a CNBC interview with Steve Leisman that probably the Fed's portfolio, the unwinding of the Fed's portfolio will be paused sometime this summer. They're doing a lot of talking. The Fed doesn't like to surprise anybody with anything. So if you just kind of listen to them, they start talking about stuff for a long time. They don't want to surprise anybody. Look for that portfolio. You're hearing it here first on the forecast. Uh, that's going to pause this summer. Take it to the bank. Far said so. Now, Tom Heath from the Washington Post is one of the best columnists in the country, really. Certainly one of the most respected. Writes the uh, investing column for the Washington Post, though he's written for business and... Uh, I've written for write everything except sports. porn. Sports. You have not written for porn. Foreign. Foreign, not foreign. Porn. Foreign. Oh! <laughs> Let's back this tape up. Oh, foreign. <laughs> foreign. Okay. Does testing, that mean you testing. have written for... Never mind. Um, <laughs> this is not the week. This is not the week. Stormy Daniels was in the news today, Tom. Did I you see that? I thought you were going to say she was in the newsroom. <laughs> you uh, would have known if Stormy uh, Daniels yeah, had she, been she in she the talk about, she talked about Cohen or something? Yeah, I she was, was watching she told the Cohen, Powell and stuff, She told so. Cohen, of course you were. She told Cohen that she was proud of him for standing up to all those meanies and, say, and telling him the truth uh, is what she said. Telling him the truth. So... Tom, we've had a pretty good beginning to the year for stocks. Investors have yeah. seen a big rally. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, people were, I mean, they were ready to sell everything back in December, and now they wonder why they didn't buy more. What are you seeing? What do you think? They did going sell on? everything in December. I wrote a story for Christmas morning. Right, it was on the front page because no one else was working for one reason. <laughs> but uh, and how that was the biggest crash since the '30s or something. Twenty percent on, on the S and P. It was dead. Yeah. So. Buy opportunity. Everybody was cashing out at the end of the year, right? You know that yep. stuff. You you yep. you true up or whatever you got to do. And Jay Powell, right? We got on the earlier segment. Scared the had everybody crap worried. Out of everybody yes. had everybody. Yeah, and so people sold. And he they they woke up in the beginning of the year and said, well, you know things aren't as bad. He took a little bit of it back, but I think it took him another few weeks. It yep. was a buy opportunity. Stocks were low. Got great reports on the economy, right? Something terrific came in early January. I forgot what it was. What it, was it the employment report, 300,000 when it was 180 predicted or something? Remember? The employment? It, 
um, the employment job, report was good, and so were hourly wages. Yeah. By the way, hourly wages yeah. went up. They didn't, yes, and but they didn't freak everybody out like they did a year ago. No, so, I mean market's good. Well, it, the stocks are, the economy's fine. Yeah, right? and they didn't freak everybody out because the Fed had moved to the sidelines. They they were freakish numbers. I mean, when we saw strong numbers before, it was kind of an oh damn, the Fed is going to have to do something about this. But all of a sudden, we had the this nice environment where we could see good numbers, and the, pretty much sure the Fed wasn't going to do anything about them. So. Economy's maybe getting better. It's excellent. I mean, yeah. what's the, I mean, interest rates drive everything, right? You know better than I do. And so Powell spooks everybody in November, and then they kind of think about it, and the holidays are coming, and then December hits, and everybody freaks out, and the algos kicked in, kick in the algorithms, and all the and computer trading. And by the algos, trading, what do you mean? Computer trading. Uh, auto- automatic computer trading, trading, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the extent to which I know of it. I just interview all these guys. And the algos have kicked in. The algos, yeah, it's the algos. So everybody's sold. And I think it, you know, cascaded. And at the end of the year, remember the day after Christmas was one of the greatest days also in the yes. market. So, which always tells you, you can't get out because you'll miss the next push up. And everybody thought, oh, well, we're going to go down 5,000 points now right. by New Year's or something. You got to stay in because everything came back. And then everything blew the doors off in January. And we've had, I think we're in danger of the seventh. We're, we got seven great weeks of positive returns yep. for S&P and Dow. And, you know, today, this week is on track for maybe blowing that, maybe breaking it. So. Well, but it's, it's yes, it could. But we're up something like 17%, 17% off of those lows. So, I mean, we've recovered enormously since those bottoms in December. Correct. We're up, what, 12% so far for the year or something, something like, like that? Something like, well, it was 11 a, a week ago. So yeah, I was so it last could be 12 or 12 and We're and still a, a little below the highs of, what was it, October 3 or we September 28. Yeah. But we're within 1,000 points. Of the Dow's just a shade under 28, went under 28 today. 20, no, excuse me, 20, just went on a shade under 26. 26. 25,985. Okay, 25,985. 25, yep. And I think we got to get to 26,838. Something like that. Something like that. So yep. we're 1,000 points. And that's pretty good. That's pretty I mean, good. I mean, things are good. I mean, what? It, it's we're going to have a recession. Your professor friend says, no, we won't, but we will eventually. And she's the professor, and you know, I'm 30 points. AQ lighter, but she is, they know that we're going to have a recession sooner or later. It's just probably later. Later. For now, you know, you worry about interest rates. Interest rates are good. Uh, You know, the, 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 I was going to, the short fat kid in Korea is not, as McCain called him, is not launching missiles. He's not blowing up nukes. Uh, That's a good thing. Looks like we're not going to have a a revolution. I mean, there's only a few big things you got to worry about and let the market run its course. It's like Buffett says in his letter. You know, let, you know, he's been through 15 presidents, World War, you know, the 60s, presidents getting assassinated, uh, presidents resigning, getting impeached. I mean, and the market's gone up a gazillion dollars, and he's made a fortune, and we all have. Right. We have household net worth that. I think 108 trillion. If I don't even it's know how many remarkable. zeros that is. Yeah, I mean, so you 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 let the you ride with the wind. You surf this until interest rates or some exogenous event happens, right? Uh, let, mean, but, but let's go back to December for a minute because people didn't ride with it. I mean, there was selling across the board. The S and P 500 dropped 20 percent. People were hating life. Uh, what what did have, did have investors learned? Absolutely nothing over time. I mean, and people the, wanted exactly. to sell. Exactly. No, they haven't. They have they, it. They have it. That's why we. That's why we have shows like this in CNBC because people they 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 can't sit still. They have to trade. They get worries. They're they get worried. They're their own worst enemy. And there's always people out there trying to make money. Uh, you know, uh, game it. 
and you know Wall Street's full of these these guys with their spreadsheets open and their bar- their heads are buried in Bloomberg machines all day trying to game the system or not legally I'm not saying they're gaming it but they're trying to do better than everybody else you really don't have to try that hard you just ride American companies and buy stocks in them I say this every show and and you wait for the the returns and and the stuff to compound and your dividends will go up it's worked for me for 20 years it's worked for me for over 30 yeah, years you, I mean, over 30 years I think people just freak out and that's good because that gives us and that enables People who are patient and I bought. with a long view, you buy. I bought. I, bought. I did buy. Yeah. I bought. Yeah. I bought in December. Exactly. It felt awful. And in fact, I was talking with one of my larger clients about buying uh, in December. He had a good chunk of cash. I said, well, I think we're, um, we should be buying in here. Um, and, and he said, uh, he said you know, uh, Michael, this just feels awful. This feels like an awful time to be putting money into stocks. I said, perfect. That cinches it. Let's do it. He said, what? And I said, if it feels bad, you should be doing it. Yes. Uh, if it feels bad, you should do it. So forget everything, ladies and gentlemen, you learned in the 70s. You know, in the 70s, we had smiley faces, just atrocious things. And, and, this, and, and the slogan was, if it feels good, do it, dude. If it feels good, do and it. And the 70s was a garbage time for stocks, right? I mean, garbage they didn't time come back stocks. to lady. Uh, well, we was, were still getting yeah. through the Arthur Burns and the, uh, the you Arthur, know. Exactly. Uh, Arthur Burns getting henpecked by uh, Richard Nixon. Richard right? Nixon. And interest and, rates went to 17%. And guns and butter. And it was and just awful. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but if you own stocks for the long term, it actually, it actually works. Uh, and at the date, the, the time that it stops, you know, I mean. Don't tell it, everybody. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you can tell everybody and they still yeah, sell Yeah, they still off. don't do it. It's why people smoke. <laughs> it's why people drink. I mean, so, you know, you just got, and I'm no patient, you know, I bite my nails, but I, I, I'm settled with this. I got I should add, you know, you got to keep a few hundred thousand in cash or whatever. You need two years or three years of cash to weather uh, a downturn. Yeah, well, you particularly as you get older, hand. right? Exactly. I mean, if you're younger, exactly. it's just I'm a little bit different. Uh, and I got to have enough to see me through three or but four years. But you look pretty peaceful there Thank today. You. You've got your kind of Dr. Cliff Huxtable you sweater look, on. Look, uh, you're, you're not the first person to say that today. <laughs> I actually walked up to somebody in the office and is that a compliment? David said I have a Cliff Huxtable. What's that? Is that a compliment or is he kidding? No, your, your sweater is very nice, but it is, it is Mr. Huxtable. Yeah, Dr. Huxtable, right. Doesn't it? What do you think, Claude? Dr. Huxtable? Yes? Oh, no? absolutely. I bought that oh, friggin' thing in, in, in uh, uh, where the hell was it? Florence, Italy. I was freezing one day. And I, I got to tell you, this is, I'm freezing. And I'm saying, honey, I'm freezing. Uh, I didn't bring in a sweater. She goes, let's buy a sweater. I said, that's really expensive. She goes, you want to come all the way to Italy and ruin two days here because you don't want to buy a sweater? Right. I said, oh, yeah, I guess that's a good return on my investment. We, 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 everybody likes your wife, and that's, that's one of the many reasons why. No question about it. Thank you. It's a, it's a fabulous sweater, but it does look comfy. So, okay. What do you so got? The, what else? The message, so the message here to investors is to stay the course and to buy good stuff and wait and to try and you take bet. advantage of some of these opportunities. So I was at an investment committee meeting this morning. Uh, I chair an investment committee for a local institution, and it's a rather big account. And we were going through some of the good decisions and bad decisions we'd made in the past. The account's doing pretty well. And they they said, you know, we want to, we really try to buy low, but we sort of refined our strategy. We really want to buy quality. Because owning quality for the long term is probably even more important than, than the price that you're going to pay. So exactly. we said we're going to buy quality, number one. Number two, we're going to try not to pay too much. We're going to buy the quality at the best value we can, yeah. Yeah. and then we're never going to sell anything. Yeah. yeah, Just never sell anything. So, okay, let's go back. The only back. stick in that is 
even the highest quality company. I mean, GE, who thought 10 years ago, you, you always figured, oh, this is a buy for life. This is, what, what is Buffett going, you know, so hold for life, Coca-Cola. Whoever thought they'd, there'd be a war on sugar drinks. Now oil, you know, I own some oil stock. Is that going to last me? I had a guy this afternoon said, that's a, you know, that's a stock that could get disrupted. The oil companies, they could disappear. I don't think so. I think they got another 50 years. So, I mean, just the caveat to that is, you know, some com companies disappear. Every company has its yeah. day. I mean, Sears. Eastman Kodak and Sears yeah, so and Eastman all of Kodak, those great example. Best example of the last uh, 20 years. Just how you can Montgomery swap Ward. a free lunch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of them do it. Uh, and they don't keep up. And it, it's, it's uh, no, it's, it's very unfortunate. So uh, as you uh, think about what the Fed is doing here, any concerns of any kind? Uh, no. I, I listen. I'm no Fed expert. I listened to Jay Powell today. Uh, I think he's a very sober, very measured guy. I, I don't know enough about this stuff. Some of your colleagues on CNBC say, oh, well, he's got, he got a little too aggressive and talked too much, and he's bad at PR. I, I, you know, I don't know. I can only see what are interest rates like. What are, what, what are the Fed funds rate? Two and a half to two and a quarter to two and a half? Yeah, yeah, two and a quarter to two, 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 two and a half, half. yes. Yeah, so interest rates are under three. The lung bond's under three. Right, things are pretty Unemployment's good. Unemployment's under four percent. Yeah, and he's he's saying all the right We're things. We're good. And he's only been there a year or two, and he doesn't look like Trump's getting to him. I mean, he's a very measured, as I said, sober guy that gives me great comfort. I don't think he's he's whacked out at all. Tom Heath, a great message: invest, invest in good stuff, and let the calendar be your friend. Don't read, don't read the. Don't read the financial stuff. Don't don't pay attention. Except if read you got Heath. Money in there. Listen, listen to watch. Read Heath in the post. It is don't must do read. Dumb I, stuff. One thing you have to do is read Heath every time you read, see an article by Heath. Read it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us on another far, great forecast. Thank you so much to our guest tonight, Dr. Jeff Lacker, Dan Mahaffey, Tom Heath. A terrific forecast. I learned so much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you too for joining us from the bottom of my heart. I am truly, truly grateful. It is a great privilege to be in your cars and in your homes and your offices and in your earbuds. We will be with you again next week with another great forecast in Washington, D.C. I'm Michael Farr. Thank you for listening to The Farcast. We enjoy making the show for you every week. We'd like to remind you that if you think you've heard specific investment advice to buy or sell any security, you haven't. The Farcast is for informational purposes, and, well, we hope you enjoy listening it as much as we enjoy making it. Please consult with a financial professional before you're making any investment decision. If we can be of help at Farr Miller in Washington, please give us a call.